Kia ora and welcome to Beyond Consultation, a podcast that will help you in your public or community sector work to increase your impact by doing more than just ticking the box of consultation. I'm Paul McGregor from Business Lab, and we're interested in the mindsets and methods of people who are making a bigger impact by working collaboratively with communities, industries, and other organizations. Ma mihi mote Kia ora and welcome back to episode 48. I can't believe we're at episode 48, almost at the big 50. I grew up watching lots of cricket, so milestones like a half century are baked into my DNA as being important. So when we do get to episode 50, I am planning to do a retrospective, looking back at some of the episodes so far, and we'll do a wee book giveaway on LinkedIn as well. At least that's the plan. I've been out of action for the last 10 days or so. First, our family had the flu and then we got COVID and it's been miserable, completely miserable. To be honest, we wished the kids were sicker so that they would have stopped hooning around the house while my wife and I were just buried under the covers or on the couch moaning and groaning. Anyway, that's enough of that. I'm pleased that I don't have to do these introductions live so I can cut out all the coughing and spluttering but hey I also want to say thank you to everybody who contacted us about our last episode with Tracy Bridges Tracy was really upfront on LinkedIn about the self-doubt that came up for her after our conversation which by the way is really normal almost almost every guest that we have on the show experiences some of that I really appreciated her honesty uh, about questioning. Did I share anything of value? Was that useful? And you know, you could call that self-doubt or you could call it introspection or reflection. And I think we need more of that, both as individuals and as organizations. But hey, it's another day and another interview. Today's guest is Mayor Rachel Reese, who announced a few days after this conversation actually that she is hanging up her mayoral robes after three terms as the mayor of Nelson. And Rachel is a little bit of an enigma. She's been labelled a national party candidate, which she's never been. I saw somebody recently saying that she was in the pocket of the Labour Party, and she's been labelled a greenie as well for some of her work on climate change and public transport. And that's the problem with trying to put people in boxes, isn't it? Well, I wanted to have her on the show because she's always had an emphasis on partnerships, and she's always embraced going beyond just yes or no discussions about important issues. Of course, before we get into that, we go into her journey into becoming a mayor because who wants to get into politics? I'm always really intrigued by that. And Rachel has also been involved not just in local issues, but also in national level initiatives like the Three Waters Working Group, which has been very controversial. So there was lots of conversation about how do we create more adaptability in local government. We talked about what Rachel calls the office of good ideas, moving local government to more of an enabling role, and how can we create more permission and space for failure 
in local government. And we talk about the Climate Forum here in Whakatū Nelson as an example of where the council has created space for some different ways of being, different ways of organising around an important issue. For any of you listening who are involved in politics, I'm sure you will nod your head along to some of the challenges that Rachel shares. And if you're not involved in politics, it's so valuable to understand what is the reality like for those people that you might be reporting to. Before we start the interview, this is your last week to register your interest for our inaugural Reframe program and to get in on the ground floor while it's still got a 50% discount. This is the program for you if you're trying to change the way your organization works with the communities you serve and feeling constrained by some of the beliefs and behaviors around you. So if you're looking for new ways of thinking, new ways of feeling and being as you work to change those systems around you, then come and do it with a community of people at your side. All the details are at businesslab.co.nz slash reframe. All right, well, please welcome to the show, Mayor Rachel Brees. Well, I am very pleased to welcome to the show Mayor Rachel Reese. Kia ora, Rachel. Uh, kia ora, Paul. Hope you're having a fabulous day and magnificent too, as I am. Yep, always a good day. Uh, as my dad says, any day above ground is a good day, but it's also a good day here in sunny Nelson. And I have to ask, is it still unique for you being called Mayor, Madam Mayor, Your Honour, or is that just... <laughs> just normal for you now? I'm, I've always found the formalities a little bit of an uncomfortable cloak because I'm quite an informal mm. person, but it's, you know, the mechanics of local government mean there are some formalities and we respect those. So I'm, I'm not big on Madam Mayor actually, I'm not, but I'm, but I'm, but I do get a bit grumpy if I get called Mary because, you know, distinction being that men and women are both, of, of all genders, we are Mayor. Yeah, damn straight. And for people listening, Rachel, who don't know you, I'm interested because you were born and raised in Dunedin and you've become the mayor of Nelson. So can you maybe take people a little bit through your upbringing and and that journey? Sure. So uh, look, I was very rude and I should introduce myself. So uh, to know my harumai. And yes, I was born in Otapoti down there in in the south. Descendants who had come out from Scotland and settled in in fantastic Edinburgh of the Southern Hemisphere. And it was a fantastic place to grow up. Yeah, I loved it. I went to university there. I went to a, quite a small small school at high school, an integrated school, all-girls school. I wasn't a great fit for school by the end of it, and I left when I was 16, which was sort of, at that stage, I was called sixth form, and went off to Otago University and did a commerce degree. So I kind of graduated by the time I was 19, and then I oh, left wow. New Zealand to go to somewhere that couldn't be more different than Dunedin was Mount Isa and Northwest Queensland. Yeah, can I jump in and ask, how do you think that impacted you leaving school early and then having that university experience, probably being a lot younger than others? Look, at the time I was desperate to leave school, and to be honest, they were probably quite keen for me to go. And I, because I'm, I have a little bit of trouble with rules. I kind of like the idea of them, but the practice of them is quite challenging. So that's actually one of my challenges as a mayor. I quite like this innovation, creative space that I yeah. I like him done. But look, I, I sort of go, it's no good having regrets in life. But I guess I would counsel a 16 year old now if they're in the education system to say, how can we make this work for you? 
Yeah. You know, we need more flexibility in our school system so that if you've got people that don't quite just fit in the inside the defined box, yeah. we can find a way for them to have a fulfilling education. Yeah. And in saying that, the experience of going to going to, going to Queensland was 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 amazing. I I my first job was teaching in a Tate College. I taught the police sergeants. They had to pass an accounting qualification, so I'd done my commerce degree. Mm. So this was the 1980s, <laughs> and being really open, it was an incredibly racist community, mm. very sexist community. I found that really challenging. I you know pushed back on a lot of that, and it was probably my first real experience of seeing really extreme racism. As I, as you sort of saw how the Aboriginal community was treated within that, in that context, not, not mm. in the work I was doing, but just mm. generally within the, within the community and society. And, and that was really confronting for me. Mm. What, what was it that confronted you so personally? We were brought up in a family, which my dad, my dad was the first in his family to ever go to university. The only one actually, and then in my generation, most of us had some form of tertiary education. Mm. And he, he was an engineer and he was always, if he took us to building sites, which he did quite often, you know, after school or on a weekend, you know, health and safety was different then. <laughs> he always made, he always made it a point that we had to say hello to, you know, and introduce ourselves and shake the hand of whoever was on the site, no matter what their mm. role was. And they, and he impressed, you treat people with respect no matter mm. who they are, where they come from. That's about good communication relationships. And so I think for me, you know, hearing a dialogue of in a community where there was a very much tiers of society yeah. and people generally were not treated with genuine openness and respect. It was a reality check for me of the challenges mm. that there are in communities. And probably if I've grown up in a no different part of New Zealand. I might have yeah. been seeing that as I was growing up, but in Otapoti, no, I, I wasn't. Yeah. So that was a first experience for you of kind of seeing some of the differences in society and how it played out on an individual level for people. Yes, it was. But in saying that, I got to, at a very young age, sort of see quite a diverse range of human engagement. And mm. and that was quite a rich experience. So so I think I think there too there is some value proposition and you know making sure that as we as we're growing that we we give Tamarikiya and the Tahi the opportunities to actually meet all sorts of different people and you know what we're doing now is actually one of those really big enablers that that you know digital connectivity actually yeah. lets us have all sorts of relationships with people of all around the globe <laughs> and that's a very cool thing. Well, that exact thing is playing out in our family at the moment. So we live really close to Auckland Point School, Matangiafiul, and very diverse school. And hearing the conversations in our family, our wider family, but should we send our kids there or should we send them to St. Joseph's, the uh, Catholic school, probably slightly less diverse. And just, yeah, we're, I think my wife and I are really keen on on Auckland Point and just hearing the conversations that that has sparked has been curious. Yeah. Oh yeah, they're both they're both beautiful schools. I, I when I came back to New Zealand for one sort of stunt, I was a mum by that stage, and my Tom, who's my oldest, he went to Myers Kindergarten, which is right at the top of Queen Street in Auckland. Mm. And I think at that stage there were forty different nationalities. He grew up as a as a as a kid with all sorts of different cultures. And I, and I remember a really, you know, a distinct sort of experience of, of his ability to sit on the train. We went, you know, we moved on to Melbourne. We moved a lot. Mm. And he, he had the ability to connect, you know, <laughs> with, with, 
whoever was on the, the train, whether they were could speak English or not. And it was that kind of transfer of that simple game of scissors, paper, mm-hmm. rock, and watching him, you know, naturally interact with another child who couldn't speak English. He couldn't speak their language, but they had a way of playing together. Yeah, and that's a pretty good skill for politics as well. So maybe he, you learned some of that from him or he from you, I, I don't know. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's sometimes it is like scissors, paper, rock in this game. You know, you, you're not quite sure where things are going to go. And there is quite a bit of chance to it. There's an awful lot of planning and you can do all the planning in the world, but there are externalities that actually can result in some degree of chance or, or perhaps not chance so much, but, but actually you've got to really be watching for those opportunities where you go, there is that little speck of gold. I've just got to go and, and I'm going to need to know more about the little speaker goal. Because it's a very rich, it's a very rich space to work in. Yeah. And so you're bringing us forward essentially to your role now with Nelson City Council. You've been mayor for what, almost 10 years, something like that? Three, three terms. This will be yeah. the year that we're just about to end my third term. Yeah. So, I mean, what was it that originally drew you into politics? I was provoked into it initially. <laughs> She might have mummy. It was, a, and this is a bit naughty because it was in a, I, when I came back to New Zealand, I got really involved in big changes in Melbourne around the aquaculture industry. There were lots of marine farming applications and it was, it was a crazy, crazy time. So we've got some family land on Arapawa Island, which is the most beautiful place. So that's my touring away like really now, if that's sort of a place we, we always went to for our summer holidays. But I, I ended up after spending a lot of time sort of advocating Mainly for environmental groups, but not exclusively. I actually went back to university at Massey and did a grad diploma in dispute resolution, so in mediation and arbitration. So I think probably I'd bring some of that, you know, how do we navigate through what are really complex issues. I go back to that, those principles of mediation and that, you know, separation of being really, really kind to the person and, and really hard on the problem. It's not easy though, and I have to say, you sure get tested as a mirror. There are days when I probably don't stick to that as well if I need to. Um, mm. Some people really do get under your skin. Yeah, oh, I can only begin to imagine. One thing I'm interested in unpacking a little bit more with you, Rachel, that you've mentioned so far is you talk about the complexity of the issues that come up in local government. And you've also talked about how good local government is at planning, sitting down and going, okay, this is what we think we need to do next. And then there's these surprises that come up in life that none of us can quite predict, you know, whether it's last week and a new climate change report or whatever it might be. And so I'm interested in how you found that process of navigating the certainty that a plan gives us and the complete uncertainty of what real life is? I think the key to a good plan is understanding the why. You know, why did I make this plan? What was it about this plan that I was trying to achieve? What are the outcomes and what's the dividend that we get from this plan back to our community? And they are the community's plans. I think that's the other part. The mayor's role is, is really to lead the plan development, and there's lots of them. You don't do all of them because it, it would be soul-destroying. But you, you lead up the big sort of, you know, the vision, the outcome, sort of the big priorities that we have. And we have to think long-term. So, so that's tough in a three-year election cycle. So I think 
have really understanding the why and bringing yourself back to that is where did we decide this was important means that you need to be able to, to flex. And the last two years, mm. we've all had to do that. That's, that's yeah. you know, your plans would have been, you know, you would have had plans for that. And didn't, 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 you didn't realize, but you would have yeah. had to think about, okay, um, how am I going to cope in this really uncertain environment? And, and actually, that's where good local government is really good because we're used to uncertainty. We're used to government changing and, and you know, the government policy statement on, or whatever it happens to be, transport goes from, you know, we'll build highways to actually we want to invest in public transport. Yeah. I'm still waiting for the money to turn up for that. It's really hard to get. Um, so, so I think that's that knowledge that if you if your reasons for the plan and your why for the plan is sound, it'll it'll have an enduring quality. But it, but it should always be evolving and adapting. And you know, the one thing that in local government, if I I always go. Well, I said, what's the thing that's missing? I'm going, it's the office of good ideas. We are, when people come in from my community and they've got this brilliant idea, mm. I've really got to know a way to enable them to, to, to build on that idea and bring it to yeah. fruition. And, you know, and that's, that's the enabling role. But, mm. but the structures of local government are not tremendously helpful for that. And certainly mm. in the future for local government discussion, you know, I think that needs to change. Yeah, and we had Gail Surgener on the show recently, who's one of the panellists on the future of local governance. So it was interesting to hear, she was speaking more about the process there and her personal role in it. What What's exciting you about what you're seeing and hearing there in that, that future discussion? I'm, I'm liking the broad conversations and I'm, I'm loving the way that Gail and, and Jim and the rest of the team are engaging with and multiple levels and multiple ways you know they're they're really keen on hearing the the, the voices of next generations and, mm-hmm. and that's important because we're we're building for the future so i like the way they're working on that i think they're really starting to unpack what is the value of local government and i really believe in it so you know you know at some point i, I won't be an elected member of a council hopefully <laughs> but I'm always going to be an absolute passionate advocate for the sector. I, I just think of such, you know, I'll be a champion for the government because it really does make a difference to how we live in place. And but with that, and that's the really exciting part of the discussion for future of local government and some of the other reform workers, we're now as a country really starting to go actually and in partnership with Manafinoa. And if we're starting to think about living well in place. You have to have that partnership for that to be genuine, authentic, and ulterior. What I'm noticing within that is there are such a wide variety of views about that working together between the Crown and Māori. And I mean, you know, you're involved in Three Waters and, and the working group on that. And there's been a lot of fear in that that comes up from certain people about what that is going to mean. What have you been noticing and taking from that conversation around Three Waters? A big change is hard. I think that's, you know, and it's not a new conversation. So we would have had, you know, the need for a reform of the Three Waters space. That conversation's been going pretty hard for the last 10 years. Yeah. And no one's really arguing with the fact that we can do a whole lot better than we are. And, mm. and the status quo, it just, it just, it isn't a viable proposition it, it, apart from very small parts of New Zealand. And actually Nelson is one of those places where you could look at our 10 year plan and go, yeah, we're probably okay for that 10 years, but 
but we're probably not because actually in that 10 years we have, we should be planning for the next 30 years. Mm. And if I look out at that sort of time frame, and then we look at, you know, climate change and that mix, then mm. we've got some really complex issues to solve. And essentially what we're trying to do is do long-term high decision-making on a three-year cycle. And that's mm. hugely problematic. So mm. yeah, but has it been contribution on, has the co-governance discussion been contributed? Yes, it has been. But I, look, it was, a, it was a privilege to sit on the working group and look at the government and accountability parts of the reform. And I think I'm really pleased that the majority of our recommendations were, were adopted by the minister and by cabinet. And that's a, a good sign that actually allowing some different processes to mm. run and actually being brave enough as a minister, I have to say, Minister Mahuja to go, okay, we've got it this far. But I'm hearing the sector go, we're mm. not happy on some of these things. And LGNZ was as well. We carved out the things we thought needed to mm. work. And, and for her to say, okay, I'll, I'll set something up. You, you go and have a crack at this. Well, you know, that's a really rewarding place to be. I have done mm. media reports before for the government. I've worked on quite a few of them now. And you know, this, this was, this was actually a really joy, a really, and joyful story I chose. It was a really joyful wow. process as we sat down. Now, with our EWI partners and Yoli from another country, and we worked really, really hard, but we worked on trying to create consensus. We had the ability to bring in our own independent experts to test, mm. test the model. And look, Doug Martin was, oh, you know, being able to have Doug be there as independent chair, his, his style and the way he worked was fantastic. So I think that's one of the things that I would look at of going, you know, if people are saying, does co-governance work or not work? Well, actually... Mm. Look at the value proposition that we got through through that process of what we could bring back to him through the report. Mm-hmm. And I guess the other part of it, thinking about our work, is, is we don't always need to lead things. So so what the minister did was she said, I don't I don't need to be at work across this. Actually, I'll create space mm. for voices for the Kurero. And she and she put a a really experienced facilitator mm. essentially in the, mm. you know in Dutch role there. Yeah, we need to do more of that in the sector. We need to be mm. looking outside of going, okay, so we need to lead it because we're local government. But actually mm. what we often need to do is find that person in our community or that person who has the mana to bridge, to to be the bridge mm. and to allow that really that that competition of ideas, but in a in a way which is going to be really respectful and deliver value out the other end. Mm. Yeah, and I and I love those processes. So you know <laughs> <laughs> mm, yeah, so do I, Rachel. That's that's music to my ears, that idea of creating space, not for you to, as local government, to necessarily lead or be the key problem solver, but for others to come together. And your role then is the facilitator or the enabler. Yeah, well, and that, that's my office, you know, my office of good ideas. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, and I, I'd, lo- I'd love us to be able to do, do more of it. I think the Future for local government discussion is is ultimately going to have to look at the legislation, and I think the mm. legislation has got itself so bound up, and you know the accountability provisions yeah. and the audit process and everything else that that it's actually quite a constraint. Transparency mm. and accountability are, are super important, but you've got to position those in a way where the process adds value to to accountability and and an understanding of what we're doing and why. And it feels often that the processes we're going through are tick box exercises and everyone's sitting in there of fear of getting it wrong and going, okay, we've got to be really careful because we might get judicially reviewed. And I go, mm. well, if that's the, 
you know, that's if that's the mindset that's driving yeah. the process, then you have definitely forgotten about the why. Mm. Why are we this plan? Mm. And as mayor, when you're seeing a process start to head down that path where it's uh oh, potentially box ticking, potentially the focus is on accountability rather than on, on the actual outcome. What what do you see as helpful to pull people back up to the actual why? I think it, it's some of that really just old-fashioned stuff. It's <laughs> We've got to sit down around the kitchen table and talk about it. And it mm. is. Sometimes when we, we consult or engaging and I intertwine those words because I kind of think they are. Yeah. We are afraid to go and talk to the people who are most opposed. And I actually think, you know, that's kind of where we need to go yeah. and unpack that as to what is, what's sitting here that's, that's creating concern. And, and, and we would, you know, finding out where would somebody, you know, take the direction if they were sitting in the chair, chairs that we're sitting in. And so I like inviting people in to be part of the solution or part of shaping the future. Mm. And, I, and I'm, I'm not precious about, you know, ultimately there are con- constraints about who makes decisions, but even within that, you know, I like the freedom of bound to, to give a real delegated power to people to make decisions. And certainly I know if I was to talk to members of, of community boards, they would say mm. that's one of the things that does need to change, that they need to be empowered to make decisions for their communities. And yeah. I guess I'd like to see that more where this, this, the structure of local government and the legislative environment actually empowers those of us who are elected to actually be able to make those decisions and give us the freedom to be able to do it with our community. Mm, so that, in your mind, is often the biggest constraint is the existing structure and then the structure then has an impact on culture and what people are thinking they can and can't do? Yeah, I think it's quite... I, I still think it's quite a hierarchical structure and that's why it's a huge privilege to be in there, it really is. And you need to be, you know, you need to be leading for your community. But it's it's a much more rewarding place to do that as part of a broader collective. And I I did a trip to Denmark a few years ago now. I've lost track of travel these days. And I went across I went across this Wakatoon Corporation and actually some some of the some engineering firms from, from around New Zealand and some other members of local government. And we were there on a study tour looking at climate change and, and waters, actually. That's what we were there. This was um, yeah, a few years ago. And I love the Danish approach of the quadruple I thought that was just such a very cool way of bringing, you know, science and research, education, government, mm-hmm. and citizens together, where everyone has the, the ability to be at the table, but everyone is also accountable. And that was the part that it was, it wasn't just a, you know, a free ticket to turn up and, you know, spout off about what you, you didn't like or that you wanted this and that was all you, you did. You had to be accountable mm. actually for delivering some outcomes out of that process. And I, and I thought that was a really good way to work. I'm interested in that because, I mean, you must be involved in so many collaborative partnership groups and often the ones who are most strongly held accountable is government, less so science, research, business. How, how did you see that working there in a way that everybody had that accountability? I think because there was a, a genuine ability to influence the decisions. So it was a, right. you know, it was being built in a, on a framework of collective responsibility. And that framework, I'm thinking about, you know, the emissions reduction plan mm-hmm. and, you know, the, where we are at this point in time, we are going to need that collective responsibility if we're going to tackle 
the challenge that's in front of us. Yes, this is this is the government's government's response, but actually we're all going to have to be part of that. And yeah. so we're going to have to think differently about how we allow people to participate in a meaningful way, and and how we're going to let you know new innovative ideas come up. Because if you think about this, if you're talking ten year plans, we've got mm. ten years. We're going to have to do something before we get to the end of the ten years. So we're going to have to be willing to. Work. Yeah. And we're going to have to try some things and fail. That's the other part of it is I think that our whole accountability transparency, you got it wrong, mantra, mm-hmm. actually is is quite a throttle on innovation. Mm-hmm. And and I think our sector struggles with that. You know, there's nowhere to fight when you get you, you get things wrong in local government. And mm-hmm. and, and often you don't have perfect information. Yeah. People are doing the best that they can. But I think we need to to really leave some space for, for for trying new things that may or may not work, and mm-hmm. you know, doing them in a formed way. But but actually, if you don't fail at some things, you're not going to learn much, are you? Like you know, you've got to. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a different it's way of looking kids. at it. It's going to teach your kids that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It won't always go right. Oh, to be honest, the kids teach me that one more than me teaching them. But they're always testing, learning, experimenting, failings, falling on their face, getting bleeding noses. That was the story yesterday. I mean, I'm interested, Rachel, can you tell me about any times where as a council you've been able to create that permission to fail and actually it's been a useful learning experience rather than a a blame-giving experience as it can sometimes fall into? I think we do a couple of areas where I think we're doing some really good work. So one is it it was a a bit off the back of the experience of going to Denmark that I said, I really want to establish the climate forum as part of a following on from the climate declaration that we made three years ago. And the climate forum operates pretty autonomously. I cannot say that word. I'm never, I'm never, I'm never, you could be the word for what's the word? On, on its own? <laughs> without, without interference, without yeah. interference from council, I should say. And they, yeah, they do. So we fund the forum. So we're taking a leap of faith really. We're saying, okay, we're going to fund the forum. But the forum sets its agenda, right? So we're saying, go for that. Look, some of the, the things the forum will try will be, they won't get community buy-in or you'd go, really, what is, you know, show me the measurable difference. So how to account on, on what differences is making. Sometimes it's really hard to measure. Mm-hmm. But I actually think that, that that's a structure that we're going to need. So we've, we've got that set up. We've done some really good work and that was was set up before I came on council with our biodiversity forum well yeah. and biodiversity forum is I chaired that when I first came in 2007 and I stepped in all then and I was really keen to do that work to be part of that process so it's it's an enduring forum look at there have been projects that have been tried within that space because you're dealing with the, you know the dynamic natural environment some things work some things don't mm-hmm. and I'm, you know we're out there funds and we're trialing out blue carbon how's that going to go and mm-hmm. we don't know it mm-hmm. may it may, may work, it may not, may need change, but it's the process of experimentation and the learning through experimenting, trying new yeah. things. That, and that, what that, I'm hearing that, you, that right. well, yeah, well, what I'm hearing you say there as well as what's been successful is carving out a space that's slightly separate to council. And, and so then you can create some new rules around it, some new guidelines, a new sort of sense of permission about what can and can't happen. Yeah, and the other one that actually works really well for us is our youth council. Mm. And 
And I really respect the Youth Council's contribution to to what we do. So our Youth Council sits at, come to all of our meetings, our meet council meetings, committee meetings. They submit on our annual our planning processes. They work really hard on those things. They run events and they, and they script them and, you know, work out what they're going to be. And, and they are, they are, they are pretty forthright in, in the views yeah. that they'll bring to the table. And I think that's great. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think being willing to, to kind of devolve the structure a bit, yeah. make it a little bit looser, but, but then there's a counter to that, which is that if you ask people to come and give time, those sort of processes, you really have to be listening. They come back mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that means an entire organization has to listen. And that's, you know, if we go back to that, where we started talking about my experience of being confronted with the, the Mount Isa experience of, mm-hmm. of a community that, in my view, was at that, that time not a serious issues about inclusion. Mm-hmm. And actually, that's always the lesson I come back to is you listen no matter who it is that's giving you the message, even if you don't like the message. <laughs> You've got to really dig deep and listen listen to that message. One of the things probably that I, I think is getting past stereotypes as well, because you'll have you make some assumptions about what people might think or do or what they want you to do as well. And that whole you suspending judgment. Mm. The the principles around decision making are actually really sound. So I wouldn't change those in the local government act. I think they're really good. It's about, you know, we need to listen to the views of our communities. We need to give reasons for our decisions. And, mm. and we have to do the, ask the questions and get the answers and get the advice before we get to making the decision. And, you know, I could probably lecture on that subject with multiple examples. Yeah. Be that doesn't <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, all, all good. Because I'm, I'm aware of our time here, Rachel. It's, it's zooming by. And maybe one final thing I'll ask you, and... I don't mean this as a political question. I'm asking it as a curious question because you mentioned the climate change declaration three years ago. Um, and I'm interested in what's been the reality for you as a mayor in encouraging that aspiration of we need to act on this into becoming just part of everyday thinking and doing at council. Well, that was the one of the main reasons for doing it was to say this must be part of everything we do this is an a oh that's the climate change person's job or yeah. because everything that we do it has actually has an impact with it's around adaptation you know you know waste reduction emissions reduction mm-hmm. a lot of the a lot of our services the way we structure a city the way we think about growing growing the city or not growing the city mm-hmm. or you know what it is the economy yeah. what's the economy we, we want to promote then we're really influential in those those outcomes. You know, at the time it was, I, I, I tell you, I had a couple of sleepless nights before I did it because I wasn't sure if I was going to get the votes around the table. And I was really, really stressful the day that we did it because I went, oh, they're not going to vote for this. They're not going to do it. And oh, it was with some elation that I got it through. And and then there was the, well, okay, this is just virtue signaling. You know, signaling. That, was, yeah. that was a lot of the commentary. Well, it's not virtue signaling. It's about saying, actually, this sits in our documents. And and now we need to give life to that. It is still slow though. And so mm. I wish I would, you know, if I could get my hands on the local government act, I would tinker around with it some more to yeah. really up the, the focus on on climate change within the act and allow the kind of speed and agility that we need now. But look, look, in saying that, we have got some amazing people who look for our organization who 
um, when you think about the, you know, the office of good ideas, actually they're there bringing those good ideas up all the time. And nothing is more rewarding for me than when someone on staff comes to see me and says, hey, Rachel, this is what, you know, I've got this idea hmm. and I can actually help them make that happen. That's, that's hugely rewarding. <laughs> awesome. Hey, well, kia ora, Rachel. Thank you so much for coming on the show and yeah, just sharing more of the reality of what it's like there to sit with the mayor's hat on and trying to encourage partnership ways of working. So ngamihi kia koe. Are there any final things you'd like to share with people listening? Oh, well, just, look, I really appreciate that you've taken the time to, you know, have the conversation, to have the chat. And, and in our busy world, and look, I'm a, vic- a victim of time poor diary. You know that because it took you a while to find a gap for you to get into mine. But, but actually, I think when you're, you're in leadership roles and pressure's on and it has been, I want to acknowledge the, the burnout factor for probably many of the people that will listen to this, that they'll be trying to find time in their day to, to stop and listen and just reflect and listen to other voices. You'd have to make space for that, no matter how much other pressure is coming at you. It's, it's the slowdown to achieve more. And I've been trying really hard to rewire my, my brain to do that over the last few years. Because I think it's something that, you know, you realize as you kind of get into these really big crunchy decisions that some of them I've been working on recently, that I have to have some pause to kind of mm. absorb the information before you take your next steps. For someone who's always jumping to the next thing, it's the, it's the kind of thing that I've had to learn is to slow down. Mm. Slow down. Slow, slow down while we speed up. Yeah, nice. Awesome. Thanks, Rachel. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Beyond Consultation podcast. What did you learn from the show? What should we have talked about? Who else should I interview? I would love to hear your feedback. And if you want to learn more about what you heard today, everything from the show is at www.businesslab.co.nz slash podcast. If this episode has left you with a burning question, please feel free to submit a voice message through the link on our podcast page. We can then ask that question of a guest in a future episode. Or tag me in a post on LinkedIn or Facebook and I can point you in the right direction. If you want to know when we release new episodes, make it easier for yourself and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Again, thank you for listening. Ngā mihi mō te whakarongo.